You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. My name is Matthew. I'm the site pastor over in Moscow, and uh, I'm excited to get to be here today with you guys. Uh, excited as we continue in the book of Luke. Uh, man, this what's going to end up being, by the time we're done with it, a year with Jesus through the book of Luke. And uh, man, it has been so good. And, and, uh, and each week I feel like, man, I, I see that story. I see that phrase, that parable, that thing that Jesus did. I see it in a whole new way as we've continued to go through this every week. And, and, and this week, especially as I spend time studying the word and the story we're going to look at today, and I think I have a new favorite story, guys. It may happen every week, but I have a new favorite story in the Bible, and uh, it is such a good one. And so uh, if you have your scriptures with you, go ahead and open those up or turn, the, turn those on to, to Luke chapter 19, and, uh, and we're going to look at a, a pastor's scripture that it's, it's honestly, it's a famous one. It's got a character and in it uh, that you probably heard about, maybe you've heard a song about him before, and, uh, and we're going to look at it in depth today and, and see what God has to say to us. So uh, as we, we are in the summer months, and uh, man, I enjoy summer. I enjoy uh, the summer season. Uh, I enjoy summer fruit. I enjoy summer schedule. Um, there's a lot I enjoy about it. And uh, one of the things that I, that I most enjoy about summer most of the time uh, is, is wedding season. Um, especially in Resonate Church, you could probably find a wedding to go to associated with Resonate every weekend of the summer. Uh, thus far, I've been to four, um, and I officiated two of those and attended two of those, and before the summer's over, I'll go to two more. And, uh, and so I, as, a, as a pastor, I have the opportunity to officiate many weddings, and one of my favorite parts is being right there in the midst of one of the most intimate things that happen between uh, people is they make vows of commitment to one another. And I get a front row, front row seat, or almost closer than front row. Uh, I'm right there in their faces, uh, quoting their vows to them as they repeat them back and forth or watch them as they read them to each other. And, uh, and it's those moments uh, where you see a husband and wife coming together before God and their community and, and saying these things to each other of who they want to be and how they want to commit to one another. And that moment, there's that moment before they make the vows where the, the, the groom is standing there and then everybody, this is the mar- part that everybody wants to see and the, the, the videographers and the camera people, they're like getting right in position so they can see both angles. What, is the, what does the groom look like and what does the bride look like? And, and you see the people along the edges where they can see both people and they're like looking back and forth, watching it, almost like a tennis match, watching their faces back and forth. At this moment when the groom sees his bride coming down, and back when I was young, uh, the way we used to do it, um, the, you didn't see the, the, the bride on the day of, of the wedding. Nobody does it that way anymore. They do this called the, the, the moment of reveal with the cameras and everything. I'm old school. I think you shouldn't see her until she walks down the aisle because that's a great moment when she comes down there. And, and it, but it's still, there's still, some, there's still some, some joy that you get to see as, as she walks down. It's, it's the moment they've been waiting for, uh, their pursuit of one another coming together right here in front of everyone uh, at its culmination of, as they make these vows of marriage. And you see the looks on their faces. And, and I love it when the groom cries just a little bit because I'm that kind of guy. And, uh, and, and, you, and you see the look on his face and the smiles back and forth and uh, just this beautiful moment of them seeking something, seeking each other and coming together in this moment. 
What we're seeing, the, the passage of scripture we look at today is similar to that. It, it's, it's, it's like a, a groom when he sees his, his bride and, and a bride when she sees her groom. Where it's, it, in, a, in a simple way, it's like a kid on Christmas morning when he comes down and comes into the living room and, and he or she sees their, their, their presence laid out there and it's like, there they are. I've been waiting for this moment. The, just what I've always wanted you know, for about 30 minutes and then there's something else that I want. But what we see here today is like that uh, in a grand, on a grander scale of, 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 of a picture of, of two people seeking something, uh, seeking after something and then, and then getting it in this moment of joy, in this moment of relief, in this moment of peace uh, that you get to see. And so I, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture. And I want you to, just as we do every week, as we read these stories and see these things that Jesus did and listen to these things that Jesus said, that we ask God, God, what are you saying to me in this? What is it you're saying to me this morning, today, tonight? As I listen, as I watch, as I, as I contemplate, as I even see myself in the story, God, what are you saying to me? And so uh, let's, let's look there at Luke chapter 19. We'll start in verse 1 and read through verse 10 and, uh, and look at this story. So, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man there by the name of Zacchaeus, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, oh, he's gone to be at the, at the guest of a sinner. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And, I have, and, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, in verse 9, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So again, this may be a, a story you are familiar with. It may be a, a song that you have sang. Uh, maybe if you have some church background uh, about this man, Zacchaeus. But uh, we see some clues about this man and there's some of this, some context maybe you're already familiar with, but he was a tax collector. And so uh, the tax collectors back in this day, this almost was, this was, this was representative of a type of person. And, uh, and we see it coming up again and again in the book of Luke. Tax collectors in Israel uh, were in a unique position in that culture and that society. I'm going to read this, this to you for a comment from a commentator on this passage. Israel was a conquered nation under military occupation, and their conquerors, the Romans, levied oppressive taxes on each colony as a, mem as a, as a means of transferring most of the nation's wealth to the capital of the, and, the, and capital to Rome and its citizens. So they would go into this area, conquer it, and try and accumulate the wealth from this nation, move it to Rome. This left the colonies, the colonial societies impoverished, which kept them subjugated. The people, the only people who lived in comfort and ease in Israel were the Romans who ruled and their local collaborators, the tax collectors. 
So the Romans depended on these tax collectors to go out and to get the money from the people because they knew, because these tax collectors, they were locals, they knew the people, they knew them best, and they understood the culture, and they knew where the money was. They knew who to go to. They knew where the money hid, where it was hidden. They knew the language. They knew the nuances of the culture. They knew how to collect the money. So you could see the role that these people, these tax collectors played. It was much like that of those uh, during World War II who collaborated with the Nazis and oppressed their own people. They, for the tax collectors, it was a pretty sweet gig because as long as all you cared about was money, then it was really, it was really a good situation. You had the backing of, a, of the Roman army and you had no accountability to keep, that kept you from taking more than was required. So they'd say, hey, you go get the taxes. We'll send some soldiers with you. It wouldn't long before a tax collector said, wow, I've got a lot of power here. I know that they, they owe this much to the Roman government, but I've got these guys with their swords and armor and big muscles, and I could, I could just ask for a little bit more and get it. So I could take my cut off the top, still give Rome to what, you know, what I'm supposed to give to them, but then I can get a little bit more, pad my pockets, and be doing all right. So these guys would sell out people that they knew well, their neighbors, their friends, even their own family, the people they grew up with, all of them grew, fell victim to the power of the tax collector. And so they became some of the wealthiest people and also the most hated people in this society. The Jewish Mishnah said that the tax collector, and the Jewish Mishnah was a, a book of, of uh, of Jewish oral laws that were extra biblical uh, that, they, that they used to communicate uh, to help understand the laws. So the Jewish Mishnah said that the tax collectors uh, was, a, was so loathsome that, not, that, that they should not even be considered human. And that it was not a sin to lie to them because lying to an animal is not a sin. So they said, don't even think of these people as people. Treat them however you would treat an animal. It's okay if you lie to them and say, hey, I don't have anything to give you because to lie to them was no big deal. Um, they were hated. They were despised. They were uh, within the Jewish culture, especially the religious culture. Uh, these guys were on the outskirts, on the outside looking in. So then we read about this guy named Zacchaeus, and we, say, we realize that he is not just any old tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector, it says there. In verse two, the chief tax collector. So if you envision uh, the organization of tax collectors, Zacchaeus was at the top, at the top of the pyramid. And he had this crew of tax collectors working for him, going out collecting the taxes. And so they would take their cut. They would, they would go and rake in what they needed to for the Romans, and they would take their cut off the top of that, and then they would bring that money to Zacchaeus, who would then transfer it on to the Roman government. But then Zacchaeus would say, well, hey, I want my cut. And so then the other tax collectors would say, well, if we've got to give Zacchaeus a cut, then I've got to take a little bit more to get my cut. So then Zacchaeus is getting super rich. These guys are getting super rich, and the people of Israel are getting super poor. And, uh, and so he would go out and collect this. He's at the top of, that, uh, top of that chain, top of that organization, this crew of tax collectors beneath him in the city of Jericho, which was a major, major city uh, and center of trade. Let me ask you this. How much do you think money had to have had a hold on Zacchaeus' heart to cause him to live like this? No one betrays his people naturally. But this is a man so possessed by the love of money that he's willing to lie and cheat and steal and to sell out his closest relationships to get it. 
At some point in his life, Zacchaeus says there's nothing more important than money. Maybe there's something in his background. Maybe he grew up uh, you know, really poor. He saw others around him who had more than his family did or he did, but he said, that's what I need. If I can just have that, then all will be taken care of. And so he sold out to it, went all in. He said, I don't care about relationships. I don't care about people close to me. What I want is more money. And so he, did, he went after it, and he devised new ways to make more money in this scheme of tax collecting. And he did really well at it, so much so that he became in charge of the other tax collectors. He was sold out to this, and money was the center of his heart. It was his savior. It was what he looked to for security and for comfort and for identity. It was his thing, the chief tax collector. Now, if you've been paying attention, you recognize that, that these tax collectors come up often in the book of Luke. In fact, Luke seems to have, uh, have a thing for tax collectors because he keeps bringing them up along the narrative throughout. It started way back in, in Luke chapter 3 when he's telling about this guy named John the Baptist, how he's baptizing and preaching and, and calling people to repentance. And it says, even tax collectors, Luke says, even tax collectors were coming and showing up and repenting and being baptized. And they were asking John the Baptist the question, John, what do we do? How do we change our lives? And John said, quit taking more than you're supposed to. That was, John, or that was John the Baptist's instruction for these tax collectors in, in Luke chapter 3. You go on in Luke chapter 4, and you begin to see Jesus' ministry, and he began to interact with the people. And Luke, uh, and Luke says that, that Jesus went to a guy named Levi. He actually approaches him, and Levi was a tax collector, and he goes to his tax booth, his table he had set up where I'm sure he was just counting his money. And, uh, and he shows up, and he says, hey, leave all of this and follow me. Something happened in Levi that day, and he said, okay. And he leaves it all behind, leaves his tax booth, whatever that meant for him. Uh, and he says, I'll follow you. And then he throws this huge party, he takes probably all the money that he made and throws this huge party for Jesus and invites all of his tax collector friends and all of the sinners of the town and throws this huge party for Jesus. He says, I'm all in, Jesus. And, uh, and it's in that context that Jesus makes this statement. As the Pharisees are looking on, the religious people are looking on and judging him for hanging out with this tax collector and all his sinner friends. And he says that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. That's who I came for. And he says that in the context in, the, in, in front of these tax collectors. He does it again in Luke chapter 15. Uh, and he's, he's telling these three stories, these three parables that are famous, that Jesus is famous for, for telling. And Josh preached a sermon on this a, couple, uh, a while ago on the, the, the story of the lost, the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, the parable of the, of the lost sons or the prodigal son. And he tells these three powerful stories of I have come to find lost people of lost, find lost things. And you know who his audience are? It says it in verse one of chapter 15. He was surrounded by the tax collectors and the sinners. The tax collectors are standing around him and he said, you know who I came to find? You know who I came to search for? The lost ones. And then in Luke chapter 18, we referenced this even just two weeks ago. Luke chapter 18, the chapter before this, when he's telling a parable, and he says, there's these two guys walk into the temple to say some prayers. It sounds like a joke, but it's actually a parable he's telling. Two guys walk into the temple. One's this religious leader, a Pharisee, and he offers up his prayer. The other guy is a tax collector, and he offers up his prayer. The Pharisee prays his prayer and says, God, look how good I am. Look at, how, look at all the great things I've done. Look how good looking I am. Look at how good I am at this religious stuff. Aren't you glad that you have me? Aren't you glad that I'm here and I'm not like that guy? And he points to the tax collector. And then the tax collector offers up his prayer. It's a prayer of repentance. And he says, dear God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. And Jesus, in telling this parable, he points out these two people and he says, that one. The guy that says, dear God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. That's the one who's justified. That's the one who's saved. And Jesus, in saying these things and hanging out with these people and talking to these people, 
shaking the foundations of their religious understanding of what it means to be accepted by God. And so then we come to chapter 19, Luke chapter 19. It's the climax of Luke's tax collector narrative. It's the story that all the tax collector stories have been moving towards, leading up to when Jesus meets not just any old tax collector, but the chief tax collector. And so we come to verse 3, where it says that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. If you have your Bible, underline that. And underline that he wanted to see. If you have your Bible turned on, highlight it. Jesus, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Why did he want to see this? Why did he want to see Jesus? Had he heard these stories? Maybe Levi used to work for him. And he's like, I lost one of my guys today. He just walked away from his booth. What in the world? What is going on? How does that happen? And he hears the story of Levi. Jesus invited me to follow him, and I did, and it's been awesome. How did you do that? How did you do Maybe he heard the story, even though he, maybe in the timeline had just told it. But maybe the rumors had passed it. Jesus told this parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector walk into the temple. And the tax collector was justified, was saved. What? Had Zacchaeus heard these parables? And now he's like, I got to see this for myself. Is this true? Is this the guy that said that? Did Zacchaeus have a hope that he would find that kind of acceptance too? He must have had some level of discontent. Something in him was not happy with where he was. How do we know this? Because Zacchaeus began to act out of character. He began to act out of his normal character. How he usually did things, began to, he put that aside and began to act differently. He began to act out of character. First of all, a content man in his circumstances avoids crowds. If he was content with who he was and where he was and the life that he had built for himself, when he saw a crowd, he went the other way because he was a despised man. Nobody wanted to be around him. And if he got into a crowd, he knew uh, that that could be potentially dangerous. People could take shots at him uh, there in a crowd and they wouldn't, he wouldn't know who did it. Uh, and so if he saw this crowd, if he was content with his life and where he was, he'd say, eh, who cares? I've got everything I need right here and more. I, if that's the coolest thing happening in town, it's not as cool as me. If that's something that other people find satisfaction in, it doesn't matter because I've got everything I need. But that's not what we see. We see that, hey, here's Jesus has come to town. He's like, well, I've got to see this. All that I have, all that I've got, all that I've made for myself is not enough to, to quell my curiosity in what's happening over there. Not to mention, as the scripture says, he was a short man. He was wee little, <laughs> as the song says. And so this wee little man said, uh, I've got to see this. But you would think, well, why doesn't he just work his way to the front of the, front of the line, the front of the crowd? Surely he could say, excuse me, I would really like to see Jesus. Can I, can I get through? Oh, yeah, come on, little guy, come on through. No, he knew that if him, the tax collector, the chief tax collector, if he gets into the crowd, People are going to be throwing bows, hitting him in the nose, right? He's, he's, he can't get into that crowd. He knows that they, he's a short man and nobody likes him. So he says, I've got to get away from the crowd, but I've got to get somewhere where I can see Jesus. So instead of going home, being content, not knowing what's happening, he says, I'm, I'm going to get somewhere where I can see it. And he climbs a tree. Now, this is a traditional culture, an honor culture, where dignity and and your reputation means more than anything and more than your individualism like it is maybe in our culture, more than you know, your personal happiness. It's, it's how you fit into the whole of culture. Now, already he'd given, given up to some extent. He didn't care what people thought as long as he had his money, right? 
But even, even, even that, even that, the, the status that he had reached and his wealth, and for him to do this, for him to climb a tree would be seen as, as undignified. But he said, I don't care. I really want to see this guy. I've heard about him. And there's something in me that longs to see him. So this full-grown man climbs a tree, and that is no small thing. Zacchaeus was acting out of character. He was acting out of character because he had everything, and he realized that he had nothing. So he would do anything to find the real thing, to find the real thing, the real thing that for, for once and for all would help him to find the acceptance that he wanted, helped him to find the security that he desired, to help, that would help him to find that deepest longing that he had, that all this time he'd been searching, he, he, he had tasted everything he could taste, he'd experienced probably everything he could experience, and even at that point, it was not enough. And when we come to this moment and we look at the story, there's a moment for us to identify with Zacchaeus. And I want to ask you even here today, are you searching? Are you searching for God in a way that you never had before? Are you searching in a way that is out of character? Maybe even the fact that you're here today, that you woke up today, that you, uh, in your schedule of your Sunday today, you said, I'm going to go to church. And honestly, you don't even know why you're here. You, maybe somebody invited you or you haven't been in a while or, or maybe you come every Sunday and you could have easily stayed home today, but you decided, no, I want to go today. Why? Because you're searching for something more. Because you're searching for something that speaks to a, your heart in a way that nothing else does that satisfies the longing that you have like nothing else does? Is that where you are? Are you searching in a way? Maybe even not because the preacher's awesome, but because you, maybe you're paying attention in a way that you, you recognize, well, this is different. I've actually taken notes today, or I highlighted something, or I sense that God is speaking to me today. I know I'm not foolish enough to think that everyone hears that, but I, my prayer, even as we prayed before the service, the beginning of the service, that God would speak to us today and that you are sensing God speak to you, and that you, too, are feeling a longing, like Zacchaeus maybe did. Are you surprised by your interest in Jesus? If you think about your life where it was a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, are you surprised that you are here at, at a church service today, interested to hear and see what Jesus says? That is a sign that Jesus and the Spirit, is, God is working in your life. That he is calling you to himself, like he was for Zacchaeus. Now, if you are one of those people that you're, maybe this is your first time here at a Resonate service. Maybe you, a friend of yours has been inviting you for a while, and, and finally you said, okay, I'll come. It's raining today and cold. I don't want to be outside, so I'll come with you to church. Maybe, that, maybe that's where you are today. Maybe, maybe you've wanted to come to church. You've been interested for a while, but it's Christians that have been keeping you away. It's not that you're intrigued by this Jesus guy, but then the people who say they follow Jesus, you're bothered by. I want you to know that's not new. <laughs> Jesus understood that. This story of Zacchaeus falls within this line of stories through Luke chapter 18 and into 19. There's a this series of stories of people trying to get to Jesus. It goes back to 18 with all these little children. People are trying to bring their kids to Jesus, and, 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 and the disciples are saying, keep these kids away keep these kids away. And she said, no, 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 no. Keep the kids close. Bring them close. His own disciples said, keep them away. And he said, no, bring them close. It happened again where there's another guy that comes and uh, he says, I want to talk to Jesus. He came close and Jesus spoke to him and he left away. He left Jesus. The, the rich young ruler is the title we've given him. And he left not receiving what Jesus had to offer. 
And then at the end of chapter 18, there's a blind man who's Jesus is coming through, much like the situation with Zacchaeus. He's coming through, and the blind man hears that Jesus is coming. He's heard about this Jesus guy, and he begins to cry out at the top of his lungs, Jesus, Jesus, help me. Jesus, I know that you can make me see. I know you can heal me. And Jesus says, you're right, and your faith has healed you, and he, he, can, he, he heals him so he can see. The man does not care what anyone thinks. He just cries out, and people are like, oh, there's the blind guy. Awkward. He's crying out. He's crying out really loud, and it's really uncomfortable. Keep him away. Ignore him. Let's try to pretend like he's not there. And she says, no, no, I hear him. I hear you. And she just goes to him and heals him, brings salvation into his life. And then we see Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, again, the crowd, the religious people, the, the good people around there, they said, no, don't let him through. He says, I can't get to Jesus, so I'll go climb this tree. Three out of those four people had barriers, and those barriers were other believers, other religious people, were barriers to Jesus. And Jesus said, no, no, don't even let the religious people keep you from me. And so even if you find yourself longing for this Jesus, but sometimes the interaction you've had with other Christians has left you saying, I don't know. Don't let that be a barrier, because Jesus didn't let that be a barrier. He came through those barriers to the people that, that, he was, that he was seeking and that were seeking after him. And the reality is for all of us, whether we consider ourselves followers of Jesus or not, all of us are very similar to Zacchaeus. All of us have a longing, and that's true for all of us. And maybe this gives you some understanding uh, if you are seeking and trying to understand why Christians act the way they do sometimes. Because all of us are trying to seek after him and working through our stuff and have our issues. All of us, to some extent, are like that one guy who came to Jesus and then left because he couldn't give up his life. All of us are wrestling through our stuff. The other question, are you like that other guy? Is there something between you and God that you won't let go of? Are you searching for something like you never had before, but what you're looking for is you're looking in the wrong places? You're searching for something. You're searching for uh, relationships where you can receive the acceptance you've always wanted. Or you're searching for success. You just want the approval. You want to know that you've succeeded. You want to know that you've achieved the heights of your goals. Are you searching for approval? You want others to say, yes, you're okay. You're accepted. You're, you're in. Are you searching for happiness? Is there something, this vague thing out there that you're saying, if I can just get to happiness and get to a place where I feel comfortable or are uh, you just searching for control? You want to call the shots in your life and know that you have control over your life. You're searching for that security. And you're trying to find it in money or possessions or friendships or status or you're looking for that security. And ultimately, you'll never find it in those things, but only in, like we said before, in the real thing. As Zacchaeus, as we look at his life, he was at the pinnacle of his profession and of luxury and of security and his culture and it wasn't satisfying. You've heard the saying that a wise person learns from the mistakes of others. May we be wise people as we look at Zacchaeus' life. And he says, look, I've, I'm at the top. I'm at the pinnacle. And I still can't see what I want to see. It's the same issue I always have. I'm short. And I'm never tall enough. I'm at the pinnacle of my life and of my profession. I still can't see it. This, this isn't getting me to where I want to be. There's something more. And I have to see this Jesus. I think he might have what I'm looking for. Unless your search, if you are searching like you never had before for security in something, and you're looking in all these other places, you'll never find it until you start searching for Jesus. Until you start looking for Jesus like Zacchaeus did. 
doing whatever it took to get there. Zacchaeus isn't the only one seeking in this story. Zacchaeus isn't the only one looking for something in the story. Jesus, you see this, this, the image here where Jesus is working his way through Jericho and his crowd is just, just all around him, watching him. Even they just want to watch him walk. They're hoping he'll say something cool. Maybe they'll get to see him do something awesome. They're intrigued by him. And he's making his way through the crowd. And you can, you can imagine uh, Jesus working through this crowd. And there's respectable people and religious people and fine, upstanding individuals all around him. And he's not necessarily paying them much attention. But then you begin to see him work his way towards this, towards this sycamore tree that this wee little man is sitting in. You can imagine Zacchaeus sitting up on that branch in that tree and he begins to see Jesus like, oh, there he is. I can see him. I can see him. And then he gets closer and closer and it, and it looks like he's, he's kind of diverting from the road and it's almost like he's walking towards the, the sycamore tree. And he's like, is he coming, is he coming towards me? You can imagine his heart starts pounding a little bit. And he's like holding on to that branch really tightly. It's almost like, you remember like when you were in middle school and, uh, and you were in the lunchroom and there was that girl you had a crush on. She starts walking towards the table you're sitting at and you're like, is she coming to my table? Is she coming over here? Wait, is she? And you're like rearranging your food and shaking your hair. And then she walks by and you're like, oh, man. I kind of wanted her to, but I'm kind of glad she didn't, you know? Anybody else? Just me, Maybe. It was like that. And Zacchaeus is sitting in that tree and he's like, is he, is he coming over here? Is he? Heart's beating. He starts start, start sweating a little bit on his brow. and he, He's holding onto that branch and his mouth goes dry and suddenly everything else goes silent. And he's like locked in on Jesus. And he looks and he realizes Jesus is looking straight at him. And he's like, oh my goodness. Jesus, Jesus is right in front of me. It's like he walked up to me. And then Jesus talks to him. And Jesus calls out to him and he says, Zacchaeus, calls him by name. Maybe Levi knew him and he said, hey, that's Zacchaeus in the tree. That's, that's the one. Remember all the stories about tax collectors that we've been telling? Yeah, this is the moment. This is where you go after the big wig. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe he just knew. Maybe there was a Holy Spirit thing going on and Jesus said, uh, the Spirit said to Jesus, that's Zacchaeus, let's go get him. And Jesus said, oh yeah, let's go get him. And he walks up to the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down right now because I want to come to your house. So Jesus speaks to him and invites himself over to his house. Do you understand what has just happened? When, when he invites himself over to his house, he says, I want to come and eat with you. That was, a, that was a, a sign of acceptance. It was a sign of friendship. And all of these fine, upstanding people are standing around watching it. And they say, he goes to this guy, he wants to go to his house. He's accepting him. Zacchaeus, because his association with the Romans, because of the life he lived, what, he wasn't even welcome to worship alongside others in the temple. He was outcast. He was on the outside. And Jesus goes to him. Watch this. Jesus accepted him before he had even cleaned up or changed anything about his life. You get that? Jesus went to him before Zacchaeus had said a thing. It's not Zacchaeus who asked Jesus into his life, but it's Jesus who asked Zacchaeus into his. It would have been a startling thing for everyone who was there, including Zacchaeus. And so Zacchaeus gets down gladly, it says. He says he got down with gladness. Some translation says he was full of joy. Of course he was. He was like, are you kidding me? It's true. He does talk to sinners. He does accept sinners. He wants to come to my house. 
I've never experienced anything like this in years and years and years. It's then that we see the transformation of Zacchaeus. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. His life is transformed. Now, as I've read this story in the past, maybe as it was told to me, I had a different picture. I thought maybe there was a fast forward here and they left some details out or something, but that maybe this took place after they hung out and ate hummus together. After they, you know, had a cup of coffee and then finally he said, you know what I'm going to do, Jesus? I think I'm going to give up half of my stuff and I'll give to the poor. But as you go back and you read through this, that's not what it indicates. It looks like he got out of the tree, recognized he had been accepted by Jesus. And he said, my life has changed forever. This changes everything. And so he, he's transformed. Let's look at how transformed he was. He, he realizes that he wanted to follow Jesus and he knew, he knew something had to change. He knew that his money was an issue. He knew right in that moment, as clear as it could be, that the thing that was standing between him that needed to change, the transformation, that he, he, had, he could not look at his life the same way. That money was an issue. And we see him respond to Jesus' acceptance by radical repentance and action. We say this in Resonate Church, we talk about kairos moments, that when you repent, it means you have to also believe. For true repentance, there needs to be change in your life. To act upon the repentance, there's a new direction that's taken in your life. It's true belief. I had a conversation with my sons earlier this week. We were running some errands, doing some chores, and we were driving uh, to go pick up some firewood. And, and one of my sons, my youngest son, Jack, he's seven, and he Sometimes he just brings up strange, random things. And he begins to talk about this kid in his class. I'm not even sure how he got onto the subject, but he said, you know, I've got a friend in my class who believes, says he believes everything, and it's really sad. <laughs> I was like, all right, tell me more, Jack. And uh, he says he believes everything, well, except for ghosts. He doesn't believe in ghosts, but he believes in everything else. So he says he believes in Jesus, but also the Greek gods. He's in first grade. I don't, I don't, even, I don't know. I don't know. I wonder what those conversations look like. I wish I could hear them at length. It would be very interesting. Uh, <laughs> But he says he believes in Jesus, but also the Greek gods. And I said, well, does he pray to them all? And he's like, I don't know. And, uh, and so it got us into this conversation about belief. That if you believe something, then you act upon those beliefs. If you believe something, so if you believe Jesus is the, Lord, the true Lord, then you would actually pray to him and talk to him like he was God. If you believe the Greek gods were really the gods, then you would pray to them like they could do something about it. And so you know, we began to talk about his friend. And if his friend doesn't really believe, doesn't pray to those things. If, it don't, if they don't affect his life, then it probably doesn't really believe in him. He just hasn't decided what he believes. He just hasn't made up his mind. He just hasn't decided to commit. Just hasn't decided to go all in on this. And so and we talked about that. And we talked about what it means to believe. And that's the reality. When you believe something, it affects your actions. It changes what you, not just what you think, but what you do. And that's exactly what we see Zacchaeus do here. His actions are affected he says, the Levitical law, let me just give you context for to how far he went, his belief led him to act. The Levitical law said you give 10% of your income back to the, to the needy, to the poor, to the church. You, you give 10%. It's called the tithe. And we still practice that even today as a, as a minimum of giving. It was a good place to start. We say the tithe. Well, Zacchaeus said, no, no, I'm giving half. I'm giving 50%. He goes beyond it. And then, and then what he does next is even even uncalled for in many ways. 
It goes beyond it. Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, you can read this in Leviticus 5, 16, Numbers 5, 7. If you steal from someone, which is essentially what Zacchaeus did, he, he earned his money by cheating and stealing and, uh, and, and treating people poorly and doing them wrongly by extorting them. Essentially say, you give me money or I'm going to put these Roman guards on you or these Roman soldiers on you. And so certainly he had cheated people out. He says, if I've cheated one, certainly he had. And so he said, I will not just pay them back, but I will pay them back four times the equivalent of 300%. The requirement of that Levitical law was that he only get, had to give 20% back. 20% back of what he had stolen. That was all that was required. He gave 300% back. Now notice this. You don't see Jesus, you don't see Zacchaeus come down with that acceptance. You don't see him turn and say, Jesus, how much should I give? That's not what he asks. He just does it as though he was trying. He doesn't ask how much should I give as though he was trying to meet a minimum requirement to earn acceptance. But he went beyond what was expected with generous giving because he had received generous grace. He recognized in that moment he had done nothing to receive the acceptance that Jesus was offering him. That this was generous grace. That it seemed as though Jesus was forgiving all of his sins right then and there and saying, why don't you come close and be a part of, be a part of me, be a part of what I'm, what I'm doing. Jesus never even mentioned money. Zacchaeus didn't have to give anything away. He just wanted to. He just wanted to give it away. You see, money was no longer Zacchaeus' savior. Jesus was. Money was no longer Zacchaeus' savior. Jesus was. So money returned to being just money, a tool for doing good and for helping others. Jesus transformed Zacchaeus. He transforms Zacchaeus through his acceptance, transforms him from being an oppressor of the poor to a champion of justice. And Zacchaeus put his belief into action. And then we see Jesus' reply in verse 9. Jesus says, today salvation has come. Salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Notice he did not say, Salvation will come, Zacchaeus, if you keep doing things like this, buddy, it's going to work out. If you keep, you keep doing good deeds like this, then I will accept you. No, no. He says salvation has come. And now Zacchaeus is a part of the family, is a part. He says you are now a son of Abraham. All of these people, all of these good reputation religious people, they put you on the outskirts and said, you don't even belong. You're not even part of us anymore. You're with them. You're with the Romans. You're a, you're a traitor. You sold us out. And Jesus says, no, no. Now you're a son of Abraham. You are very much a part of the family. I welcome you in because I have the right and the ability to do that. God's salvation does not come in response to a changed life. Please get this. Zacchaeus didn't didn't earn the acceptance that Jesus was offering him. God's salvation does not come in response to a changed life. A changed life comes in response to the salvation offered as a free gift. As a free gift. That's big. Every other world religion will tell you this is what you need to do to, to achieve and earn the approval of God. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to do anything. I'm welcoming you in. I'm accepting you in. And so as we take a step back and we look at this passage, there's two things I want us to see. Jesus sought out Zacchaeus. Jesus was seeking something and he sees him there in the tree and he goes after him. Jesus, in verse 10, it says, Jesus came to seek 
and save the lost. It's Jesus' mission statement. If you want to underline that, this is what Jesus is all about. He came to seek and save the lost. Let me hear, I want you to hear this. Jesus wants you. No matter how terrible you think you are, no matter how terrible you think other people think you are, Jesus wants you. No matter what, is, what it is you're trying to hide, what it is that, you're pay, that you're afraid that people will find out about you, Jesus wants you and he accepts you and he wants to transform you. He sees what you are trying to do with your life and how you're seeking to fulfill, seek fulfillment in other things. And he says, you're never going to find it there. Please let me, let me help you find what you're looking for. You'll find it in me. And he seeks after us. He's seeking after you. Do you realize that today? Please, please realize that today. That Jesus is seeking after you. He knows your stuff. He knows what's going on. He knows the things you've never told anyone. And he still wants to seek after you. He's still walking towards you as you sit there in that tree. He knows and he wants you. He knows and he still came to get you. He knows how terrible we are and he still came to earth to rescue us. Let me approach this from a different angle. Maybe you say, yeah, I kind of know that he wants me. I kind of I don't blame him because I'm, I'm not that bad. Compared to these other people, I heard this story the other day about a friend of mine. I'm, I'm not as bad as she is. I'm not as bad as he is. I don't, I don't, I don't blame Jesus for wanting me on his team. Is it, I know we don't say that out loud, but somewhere in us that dwells. Somewhere in us that lives because we listen to this story like, oh, this is a story about salvation for people who don't know Jesus. This story isn't for me. If that's where you're thinking, if that's where you are, you need to know the story is for you. If you find yourself thinking, Jesus is lucky to have me in some way, in some level of your life, then in some way you are trying to be your own God. You need to know that you need Jesus to be your God. You need Jesus to be that for you. You need to be at a place where you, you recognize your need for someone outside of yourself to come and rescue you because Jesus takes your place. You can't stand it. You can't handle it on your own. That's what Jesus knows. That's why he came to rescue us. Because this is something we have to know about God. He is a just God. And when we sin, when we rebel against him, when we do the things we do, that are not what God called us to do. But God says, this is not how life is meant to be lived. And all of us, in some ways, we recognize that we don't do what we need to do, what we should have done, how we should have done things. In some way, we've lied, we've stolen, we've gossiped, we've treated people poorly. We've, we've done the things we know we shouldn't do. And Jesus says that, God says that can't go unpunished. That is rebellion against me. That is, that is sin, he says. And it would be unjust for that to go unpunished, to be ignored. And so God, God is just and he demands justice. He demands punishment. And God, but God is also loving and he says that he'll take that punishment for you. So as we look at this, we need to understand that Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus' story is our story. Zacchaeus climbed into that tree because he was despised. Watch this. It's like he has climbed into that tree because he was despised. And within the week, this is getting towards the end, guys. We're, we're almost there. We're in the final week of Jesus' life before he dies. Within the week, Jesus would be nailed to a tree. Jesus climbs into a tree because he is despised. And before the end, within the week, Jesus would be nailed to a tree, nailed to the cross. The, Jewish believe, the Jews believe that everyone who died hanging on a tree was, to be, was, was cursed was despised by God. It says in Deuteronomy 21, 23, Paul references in Galatians chapter three. 
Jesus invites Zacchaeus out of the tree of derision where he was despised so that Jesus could climb into it. Do you get it? Jesus is taking Zacchaeus' place in place of being despised. He takes Zacchaeus' place and he takes our place. It's just like Isaiah 53, six says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. We are lost. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Jesus came to seek and save the lost because we are desperate. We all are desperate to be found and be saved. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. That's point number two. Jesus was coming and seeking after Zacchaeus, but Zacchaeus also wanted to see Jesus. And that's a question for us. Do we want to see Jesus? Do we recognize a longing within our hearts for something more that we can't find anywhere else? That the one who made us knows us best and is calling us close, is calling us home, is calling, calling us into the family. Do you want to see Jesus? Do you go about your day looking for comfort and security and other things, or do you ultimately know, I can only find it in Jesus and I wanna see him. I want to see him and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Are you willing to cry out like the blind man at the top of your lungs, Jesus, I wanna see you. Are you willing to climb a tree even if it makes you look foolish? Are you willing to give up whatever it means to give up, give up your life so that you can have life? Do you want to follow him? Are you drawn to him in wonder of his love, this love that surpasses knowledge? And I say to you today, climb the tree, cry out to him. And he is so much closer than you ever realized. He is right there waiting for you saying, yeah, I came for you. I came for you. He's calling out to you. We sing some wonderful songs here at Resonate Church. May you sing these songs in fullness and in truth believing them fully, crying out to Jesus, crying out to him. The story of Zacchaeus is the story of two seekers, two seekers, Jesus seeking after you. And the question is, will you seek after him too? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you pursue us. You don't leave us to ourselves, but you came to get us. You saw us where we are in a place of, dis in a place of despair, a place of need. God, you saw that left to ourselves, we had no hope. God, the, the saviors we tried to seek and other things of this world would never save us and you came to rescue us. God, help us to respond to you and your calling to us today. God, we lean on you above all else. God, we hear your voice calling for us. And I pray for these here, who, those who are here today that are seeking after you, that you have stirred in them something, a desire, a hunger, a thirst for something more. God, continue to help us to find a lack of satisfaction of things that we are searching in. God, give us a hunger for you. And give us the boldness and the courage to take that next step, to climb the tree, to cry out. Because God, we want to see you. Jesus, we want to see you. God, we thank you. We thank you for coming to rescue us. And these prayers and these requests for your acceptance, God, we pray them in the name of Jesus Christ and we pray with hope and pray with peace. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.